Uh, tonight's reading comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 27. It might be up on the screen, but everyone's got the piece of paper anyway, so that's pretty sweet. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the, uh, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it didn't fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Um, have you ever found that um, you have a, a fairly random conversation with someone and, and just like a phrase or something that someone says just really sticks with you? I had a conversation with someone a little while ago, just after Alana and I got married, and um, it came up that it was their 17th wedding anniversary that weekend. And um, it was a, a tiny little phrase, such a cliche thing that they said, that they said, time sure flies by, or time certainly goes quickly or something like that. And and. I couldn't shake it. There was something about it that just stuck with, stuck with me. I don't know, stuck. Stayed, stayed, here we go, stayed with me. And I ended up going home and Googling and I got online and Googled the average life expectancy for an Australian human and um, worked out that it was about 82 years. I then did some uh, quick maths and divided my age by the average age and worked out that I've already used up a third of my life. A third of my life is gone. Done. I don't know how old you are, but I'm 25, and a third of my life is gone. How does that make you feel? For me, it was kind of scary. It's kind of a morbid idea. What have I done with these years? What am I doing with my life? What have I achieved? And the big question is, what do you want to achieve with the rest of your life? I think it's a funny thing growing up, and maybe it's particularly Western culture, or maybe it's even just me, but I feel like I've always been waiting for the next thing. I found in primary school, the high school kids were the coolest, and I couldn't wait to be in high school, and then in high school, it was like, oh man, if I was only 21, like, that's the peak of life, right? And then you finally finish high school, and everything gets real, way harder real quickly. Um, university is like, you've always got time pressures, and then you finish uni, and you get a real job, and you actually realize that you don't really have a life anymore. And, and maybe you volunteer at church and, and you even have less of a life. And this big idea of purpose and meaning is something that, that keeps coming back and back and back and back and back. I feel like we're just so swept up in it all. We have so many distractions in our lives, so many things going on. Do we know why we're doing them? And uh, as I'm getting older and realizing that I don't think that there's many things in life more important than knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it. Do you know why you're doing life? Do you know why you're here right now? Do you know why you're planning on going to work tomorrow? I think it's a waste that sometimes people end up having their midlife crisis in the middle of their life. 
Sometimes I think that we should have a midlife crisis as early as we possibly can. We should freak out and wonder, what am I doing here? And uh, I'm really excited to share little bits of my journey, but as I've been preparing, I, I just stumbled across these verses from Matthew that Tom just read out for us. And um, they seemed real familiar and felt something that I'd heard again and again, but there was just something of new life in them. So um, we're just going to explore them a bit, but um, I was just blown away by how much God brings incredible life into things that are so familiar sometimes. And sermons are sometimes super familiar, so I'm going to pray that we actually hear something new today, but before I do that, I'm just going to give you a quick idea of where we're actually going, if I can get everything organized. Here's the big idea of where we're going tonight. We make thousands of choices and decisions every single day. Some of them we hardly even think about. But all of them are deeply tied to our intrinsic sense of purpose, to what we see as important. Because what you see as important are the things that you will do. But maturity is actually growing in awareness of that. Knowing what do we see as important and actually taking control of it. And tonight I'm probably going to ask more questions than I actually plan to answer. Questions like, what is your life about? Why do you do what you do? Why are you here tonight? Why are you listening right now? What actually motivates you to do anything? I know those are huge questions and, and maybe you've thought about them heaps and awesome if you have and And maybe you've never thought about them. But these questions are so important. But this might be a bit of a weird sermon to you, but I hope that it actually makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I hope that the Holy Spirit creates some discomfort that you don't want to just live the normal way anymore. And just like these verses in Matthew, we are constantly building things. But do we know why we're building them? Cool. So with all that introduction, I'm just going to cover three ideas. We're going to talk about the foolish man, we're going to talk about the wise man, and we're going to talk about some practical stuff about how that changes everything in our lives. Cool, so I'm just going to pray. Lord God, I just want to ask that you move powerfully here in us tonight. May these words not just simply be my own, but would your spirit be moving in our hearts to truly hear what you're wanting to say to us. Disrupt us from living passive, thoughtless lives. And fill us with your purpose and your love. Amen. Cool, so the foolish man is where we're starting. Beautiful, already got it. And maybe you feel like me and feel like this parable is so familiar. And I feel like I've heard this a hundred times before, but that, that simple message of, yeah, of course you want to build a house on solid ground rather than on soft, movable sand. But when you actually sit and think about it, it's actually really hard. Psalms talk about the idea of foolishness as a kind of practical atheism. Instead of actually just blatantly saying, I don't believe in God, it's actually saying I do believe in God and then going out and and not actually acting like it. Psalm 14, oh oh, sorry, this is the, sorry. Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Maybe he says out loud there is a God, but in his heart, in his actions, in the way that he lives his life, he says that there is no God. There's this disconnect here. Despite our head knowing that there's a God, we don't act like it. Foolishness is less about intellect, how stupid we are, and more about consistency. Do we actually do what we say we believe? Because Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Because we might hear the words of God. You might be agreeing with me right now, 
On Sunday, it's easy to agree with them, but tomorrow, what does our lives look like? So uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this guy named Matt Chandler. He's a big uh, pastor in the States, and I, I love him. And he said one thing that stuck with me the other day. He says that Jesus talks a lot about money, but he's never really talking about money. In Jesus' house-building parable, it happens right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. A chapter earlier in Matthew 6, we see him saying, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus talks a lot about money because where we spend our money is where our heart is. What we love most normally gets all our attention, our investment. Where we put our time, our effort, what you enjoy the most is probably what you love the most. So just think about that for a second. What actually gets your priorities? What do you do when you have some time off? And it's really easy to say that we're serving God and not money, but do our lives actually reflect it? What do your actions say? Because the truth is, I know that we all act like fools sometimes. I act like a fool sometimes. I get up and I'll preach this and then I'll go live a different way. We can all be inconsistent at times. But one of the biggest keys that I'm learning is to actually... um, Sorry. One of the biggest keys I'm learning in how to be more consistent is actually understanding what it looks like when we build our houses on sand or building our houses on rock. And if we start to hate it, if we start to hate when we build our house on sand, we might actually stop doing it. But first we need to be reflective. We need to stop and realize what we're doing. I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Ecclesiastes before. It's um, a kind of a depressing book, and you don't really need to get far before you kind of understand all the 12 chapters of the book. So we're just going to look at a little bit of the first one, first chapter. So this is Solomon, the son of David, talking. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. I, the teacher, was king over Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. If you know who Solomon is, this might mean a lot more to you. Solomon was the wisest person that's ever lived. He was probably the richest, most powerful, most popular. He had like 800 wives. He, he was the absolute master of his time. He was the most successful person probably that's ever existed. And here he's saying, everything is meaningless. All this stuff is meaningless. And he, the book goes on, he talks about pleasures are meaningless, toil is meaningless, advancement is meaningless, riches are meaningless. But this is exactly the message that we hear from our culture, right? Our culture values sex, money and power, health, wealth and prosperity. Those are the keys in our culture to success, to happiness, to, to a meaningful life. But Solomon is saying the exact opposite. And here's the challenge. Are you unintentionally listening to the culture more than you're listening to this? Is your head in our culture more than your head's in the, in the Bible, in, in, in what God has for you? 
And maybe sometimes you feel it more than you actually know it. Maybe you can be like, yeah, maybe that's true, but maybe you feel it. Maybe your life feels like you're building on sand. When hard stuff comes, do you fall apart? That's what it means to be building on sand. One of my favorite verses, one of my favorite prayers is in Psalm 139. It's pretty simple. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I, I love coming back to this again and again and again. Because like this stuff registers with me so much, but I don't know where to start sometimes. Sometimes I know, okay, God, something's going wrong, but what is it? We can just simply ask. Because if we take the Bible seriously, we know that there's life in it and not in other things. There's this quote by C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. I have a hundred favorite quotes by him, but this is one of them. God made us, invented us like a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. Or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is simply not there. I love this quote because it shows both sides. It shows the foolish man and it also shows the wise man. We know that cars don't run on anything but petrol. There's a right way for a car to run. It might seem like a quick, easy shortcut to fill your car up with water or or something else or, I don't know, olive oil or whatever you can find. But we know it just doesn't work. And this is again shown in Matthew 4.4. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what does it mean to be wise? Therefore, this is the Matthew verse at the beginning. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's putting the words that Jesus said into practice. I remember hearing about the importance of the word therefore. I'm not sure if this is here. Yeah, cool. I remember hearing about the importance of the word therefore in the Bible that we always need to work out what it is there for, why the therefore is actually there. And before Jesus actually jumps into talking about this stuff, he's, he's, he says what Tom just read out for us earlier. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. While Solomon highlights to us that health, wealth, and happiness is, is not the key to living a good, successful, meaningful life, Empty righteousness isn't either. These people are doing all these amazing things, but they're not in relationship. They don't know him. As a Christian, I sometimes feel like the most important things I can do is help people or give my money to the poor or read the Bible heaps or preach a really good sermon. But those aren't the most important things. All of those things can be done with the absolute wrong heart and mean nothing. The Pharisees are an all too familiar group of people in the Bible and it's because they did all the right things but their hearts were empty. Their motives were all over the place. 
Here's just a quick little bit of it from Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Please don't ever hear that the message of Christianity is that you need to follow all these rules and do all these things that you don't want to do in order to impress the right people and fit in in with a club. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing and, and, and we know how Jesus spoke to them. Far too often I know that I'm just doing the right things because they're easy to do and I get caught up in a cycle. It's so easy to just do the right things. That we can read our Bible for bad reasons. We can preach for bad reasons. We can come to church for really bad reasons. The difference between building our houses on rocks or on sand is why we're doing it. What are you wanting to achieve? What's the foundation of your decision making? Because Paul offers us a different way of looking at it. He says, whether you, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, I'm oh, sorry, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Building a house on the rock is based on building everything that you do on seeking the glory of God. And let me explain what I mean by that, because that's kind of complicated. One of the most famous things that Jesus has ever said is captured in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Someone comes up to him and asks him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus sums it up real simply. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Just like C.S. Lewis's engine analogy earlier, we know that, that rules are actually for our good. God wants us to know that we run on Him. We don't run on other things. And the foundation to all these rules is pretty simple. We love because He first loved us. And as I, as I kind of said earlier, um, Alana and I have just gotten back from being overseas for five weeks and uh, we had a great trip, but the one big thing that God was teaching us while, maybe more, I can't speak for her, uh, one of the big things that God was teaching me while we were away is that this world is incredible. This world is beautiful. It is an outrageous gift that he has just given us all these things for free. We haven't done anything to deserve this. But we have been given this huge, beautiful world. It screams of how good he is. And before we were even created, he's given us it all. And we know that we stuffed up. We know that we've turned away from God, spat in his face and gone our own way. And again, in outrageous, scandalous love, he pursues us. Again and again, he's given us everything and then he gives us everything again, just like Peter was talking. The contract is one-sided. Wisdom is, wisdom is letting everything you do be in light of God's outrageous love for you. To simply love him back, to listen to what he says, to understand that life in all its fullness is found in his plan for your life. To simply want more of this God who wants to give you everything. In 1647, this really famous document called the Westminster Shorter Catechism was written to kind of establish and teach 
all these core teachings of the human faith, Christian faith, sorry. And one of the most well-known parts of the catechism, catechism or whatever, is all about the purpose of life. And it's real simple. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How good is that? To enjoy him forever. The ultimate purpose of your life is to enjoy God and praise him. So here's the big question. Does everything you do, every tiny decision that you make, come back to serving this purpose? Because you were designed to fill that purpose. And it's not necessarily even doing different things than you're doing now. Just like Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do everything for the glory of God. You can eat and drink for your own satisfaction, or you can do it for the glory of God. There's life in one, and there's meaninglessness in the other. Everything can be done for the glory of God that's in your normal life. You can read for his glory. You can play sport for his glory. But then sometimes this also looks like changing your priorities. Building your life on the rock might mean that you change how much time you spend watching TV or how much time you spend on social media or whatever it is. I'm just speaking to us young adults. And I only say this because I want you to have a firm foundation. And the last part of this verse... The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Have you experienced this? When you live to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, you will stand firm in the storm. You were created for intimacy with God. You were created to treasure Him. This is how you were designed to thrive. And here's just a few practical challenges that I want to finish up with, and hopefully this grounds it all a little bit for you. And maybe you just want to hold on to one of these. There's three. Maybe you want to grab two, whatever it is. Maybe it's a good time to write something down. Number one, does your life feel purposeless? Does it feel meaningless? Do you feel like you've been building on sand? Does it keep crashing down on you? And I keep coming back to this all the time. Because it's so easy to go weeks or months or even years just doing things because that's what we're meant to do, right? And maybe you've even been doing really good things like the Pharisees. But maybe you've been doing them for all the wrong reasons. Because Christians, we have a unique opportunity to do something, to be grounded in something bigger than ourselves. And here's the challenge. What are you listening to most? What are you filling your head with? Are you actually spending time reorientating yourself towards God's plan for you? Are you enjoying Him? Are you experiencing His love? Being aware of what He's done, being aware of what He's done for you and what He's doing in your life. And for me, this looks like Bible reading. This looks like prayer. This looks like constant, regular disciplines to actually keep myself reminded about what this is really about. Because without things like that, we just get so distracted so easy. But I know as young people, it's real hard sometimes. Number two, what are some of the things that are distracting you from glorifying God and enjoying Him? So again, I'm talking TV, I'm talking video games, I'm talking social media here, just because that's me. 
Maybe you know, and maybe it's something else for you. But even just talking to Debbie recently the other day, and, well, not the other day, it's been like five weeks since I've been here. Uh, even talking to Debbie a while ago, hearing about the fast that she did was so exciting. Have you been willing to give up something good to go for something better? Because I'm not saying that social media is evil. It certainly can be evil. But are you willing to give up something good for something better? What would it look like if you gave up all your electronic entertainment, everything, for a week? What about a month? A week is easier. Let's start with a week. I was just talking to Alana on the car trip here saying, let's do that. This week we're going to do that. If, if you want to join us, come have a chat to me afterwards. I'd love to chat with you throughout the week and, and see how we're going. Let's keep each other accountable and encourage each other. And maybe it's something else completely different. Maybe electronics is fine for you, but I think you get the point. Think of how much time you'd have instead. And the last one is maybe a bit more of an experiment for you. When our purpose is firmly set on glorifying God and enjoying Him forever, then even seeming disruptions or difficulties can help us grow towards God. Even the frustrations in life can be good, can be helpful for our purpose. Every frustration is a chance to rely more fully on God. So I'm just going to move things around a little bit for you. Hopefully that's not too distracting. Here's just a quote from Paul Tripp. He's just another US guy. You and I don't live in a series of big dramatic moments. We don't careen from big decision to big decision. We all live in an endless series of little moments. The character of a life isn't set in 10 big moments. The character of a life is set in 10,000 little moments of everyday life. It's the themes of struggles that emerge from those little moments that reveal what's really going on in our hearts. I just think it's beautiful. It's coming back to that idea that the thousands of decisions that we make every day is entirely linked to your purpose. Where your heart is, what you see as important is the things that you will do. You see it in every moment. And the frustrations in your life will point to that. Maybe this week you just want to pay more attention to the frustrations that come up. Be aware of why you feel angry or impatient Whatever it is, ask God. It's a chance to learn to grow more deeply in your relationship with Him. It's a chance to rely more on Him.